morning. Our scripture reading is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 1 through 12. In your blue pew Bible, that is on page 521. Please rise in honor of God's word. So on page 521, you will find Psalm 139 if you are using the Blue Pew Bible. Verses 1 through 12. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us once more. Gracious Father, we thank you for your holy word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be here in this place right now, accompanying the preaching of your holy scripture, that we, your people, might be made more holy, more conformed into the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wished you could be in more than one place at the exact same time? Perhaps you've had the experience of being pulled in various directions, trying to manage your family and all of their various needs. You got one kid who has a, a soccer practice on this side of town. You got your other kid who has a recital at the exact same time on the other side of town. And you've got another kid who needs a nap. If only... If only you can be in three places at the exact same time. It would be so convenient, so helpful. Or maybe you've got a term paper to write, but you also have to get to the library right now in order to work on that group project with your peers. But really, you just want to be at that Christmas party at your friend's house. You wish you could be in all three places and do all three things at, all at once. It would make life so much easier but you can't. Of course, that's impossible. There's only one of you, and you can only be in one place at one time. Friends, that's the reality. That's the natural limitation for creatures like us. We are bound within a body. We are always localized in one particular spot on the face of this planet. We can't be everywhere all at once. 
but God can. And friends, that is the, was one of the key differences between God and man. God is omnipresent, but we are not. He is everywhere all at once, while we are always found in one place at one time. We clearly are not omnipresent. And that's why omnipresence is considered one of the four classical incommunicable attributes of God. We've been describing these as attributes that are unique to God alone, attributes that he does not share with his creatures made in his own image. We've covered already the first three of the classical four, God's independence, his immutability, and his eternality. And today our focus is on his omnipresence. Now let's begin with a definition of terms. Let's make sure we're on the same page when we speak of God being everywhere, when we speak of him being omnipresent. Now, in in a straightforward sense, we just do mean that his presence is everywhere. He's in all places. There is no place in all of creation where God is not. He is everywhere. Now, while that is, that is a true statement, It's an insufficient statement because to simply claim that God is everywhere could still lead to some faulty conclusions. So, for example, an obvious mistake would be to think in terms of God being one with everything everywhere. That would be called pantheism. That's the idea that God is found in everything, everywhere. But Scripture, of course, soundly rejects that. The Bible draws a very clear and sharp distinction between God as creator and all of his creation. So clearly that's not what we mean when we speak of God's omnipresence. But even with that qualification, with with pantheism put aside, when people hear God is everywhere, I think some interpret that to mean that God is just infinitely larger than the rest of us, that he fills up infinitely more spaces than the rest of us. He exists in every space, everywhere. But if that's all that omnipresence means, well, then it really wouldn't be an incommunicable attribute. It would actually be something with which we share with him. I mean, have you ever wondered why God's omnipotence and his omniscience are actually considered communicable attributes and why his omnipresence is the only one of the omni attributes that's considered incommunicable why the distinction well it's because when it comes to omnipotence or omniscience we differ from god but we differ in terms of degree you see like god We also possess power and possess knowledge. But of course, his power and his knowledge are infinite in degree. That's what makes him different. But friends, when it comes to his omnipresence, we differ from God, not just in terms of degree, but in kind. You see, we're not just saying that we're located in one place while he's located in an infinite number of places. If that's all we're saying, well, then that's just a difference in degree. No, for God to be omnipresent means that ultimately he exists nowhere. Because where 
assumes a location in space. But the point of omnipresence is that God cannot be contained in any space, even an infinite number of spaces. So in other words, you simply cannot define his essence in spatial terms. I mean, just listen here to King Solomon as he ponders this thought. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, he had just finished building God the temple in Jerusalem. And he's still baffled at the thought of the omnipresent God residing in a building that he just built. He says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So even the heavens The highest of heavens cannot contain God. And it's not just because they're not big enough to hold him. Big enough is not even a category that rightly applies to an omnipresent God. Again, friends, he's not spatial. He exists without size. He exists without spatial dimensions. So when we speak of God being everywhere, we just have to be clear about that. We're not suggesting that he's just infinitely larger than us, that he just takes up infinitely more space than the rest of us. No, God exists apart from space. Just as we argued previously a couple of weeks ago, that he exists apart from time. You see, by virtue of being the creator of all things, by virtue of being the creator of all the universe, he pre-exists both space and time. But just as we said earlier that God is still able to interact with us in time, well, in the same way, he's still able to interact with us in space. And that's why we can still rightly describe God as being everywhere, in every space. We just have to remember when we say that, we ultimately cannot be defining him in spatial terms. So keeping that in mind, We can still define our term this way, and I've written it for you in your outline. So if you look in your bulletin, you'll see an outline there, and this is the definition we're going to be working with. God is omnipresent in that he is fully present everywhere all at once, and yet his presence can be experienced differently in different places. So in other words, wherever you are, wherever you go, God is there in his fullness, everywhere, all at once. And yet, at the same time, we can speak of God appearing in specific places, like a burning bush or a pillar of fire. Or we can speak of God residing or dwelling in a particular place, like a tabernacle in the wilderness, a temple in Jerusalem, or in the hearts of all believers. He is everywhere, all at once, and yet he can be experienced differently in different places. Okay, so that's what it means for God to be omnipresent. Now let's demonstrate this in Scripture. Turn with me to the psalm that was read earlier, Psalm 139. We're told uh, in the header that it is a psalm of King David. And the overall theme of this psalm, if you notice, as you heard it read, is God's knowledge. It's actually about his knowledge, his 
intimate, personal knowledge of every single one of us. I mean, just listen to verse 1 again. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows you. He has intimate knowledge of you. David goes on to marvel in the vastness of God's personal knowledge. He knows everything there is to know about you. Verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, in verses 7 to 12, David highlights God's omnipresence, and he says that there is nowhere you can go to escape this knowledge or to be beyond its reach. Listen again, starting in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, uphold, shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light, be, light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, notice what David is not saying here. He's not saying that just no matter where he tries to go, God just always so happens to be there too. No, his point is that there's nowhere you can go where God is not present. By his very nature, he is inescapable. You're always in his presence wherever you go. Ascend to the heavens, he's there. Go down to hell. Go down to Sheol, understood as the realm of the dead, and he's there. Go to the wings of the morning. That, that's, that's where the sun rises. The farthest east you can go, he's there. Or go to the uttermost parts of the sea. He's referring to the far end of the Mediterranean Sea, as, as far west as you can go, and God's still there. Even in the darkest of night, he is there, for darkness is as light. In God's presence. Now, I, I think it's unfortunate that when some people read that, when they read verses 7 to 12, they read that as if it were a threat. As if, it, as if David is trying to flee from God's presence out of guilt or shame, and now he's just bemoaning the fact that no matter where he tries to hide, he just can't escape. If you read it that way, that's actually missing the very tone of this psalm. I think that would be reading it incorrectly. Notice how David is actually expressing a sense of assurance, a sense of comfort as he contemplates God's omnipresence. Look, look at verse 10. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. So it's a comfort to know that wherever you go, wherever you are, God's ever-present hand is there to lead you, to uphold you. This is to encourage you. And then in, in verses 13 to 16, which, which we didn't read, but actually next month we're going to be looking at it more intently, David marvels at how even in the darkest, the most personal, the most hidden of places, my mother's womb even there, O oh Lord, you know me. And all of this is meant to say that God is fully present everywhere, all at once. And that ought to bring you comfort. Because what that means is that no matter how 
far you travel in life, no matter how alone you might be, no matter how much it feels like no one really knows you, no one really understands you, God does. God's knowledge of you is as vast as he is omnipresent. To King David, omnipresence is not just some academic, esoteric doctrine. Omnipresence is a comforting truth. It upholds him in the darkest of night. If we turn to the pages of the New Testament, You have the Apostle Paul also marveling at the same thing, marveling at the omnipresence of the Lord. Uh, This uh, is, I'm going to read to you out of Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. This is Paul's speech to the men of Athens, and he begins his speech by stressing God's lordship. So this is verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And then he concludes this speech with a logical implication, that is, God's omnipresence. So considering God's lordship, it leads logically to his omnipresence. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is not far from each one of us. In other words, by by virtue of being the creator and the Lord of all things, God is not bound by any spatial limits. Again, he is omnipresent. And for that reason, what that therefore means is that all peoples on the face of the earth are able to seek and define God because he's actually not far from each one of us. So again, this is not a doctrine that we study just to puff up our knowledge. No, this is a biblical truth. Notice, intended to motivate our missions. This is to motivate us and to move us, to go out and to tell people who feel the furthest they are from God that he's actually not that far at all. That's what understanding His omnipresence is supposed to do for us. This is not just some intellectual exercise. This is meant to comfort you, knowing that God is always present no matter where you go or how distant you feel from him. And at the same time, it's meant to challenge you to go tell others who feel the exact same way that God is actually not that far off. If you seek him, you will find him. That's the point. That's the point when we say that God is fully present everywhere all at once. That's what that's intended to cover. So that's, that's the first half of our definition of his omnipresence. Now, now let's dig deeper into the second half. Let's dig deeper into what it means for his presence to be experienced differently in different places. Well, what does that exactly mean? Where is that affirmed in Scripture? Well, think about it this way. Though God is everywhere all at once, There are instances in Scripture where God is uniquely present in one place to bless. That's what Psalm 16, verse 11, is trying to convey. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Uniquely in the presence of God There is a fullness of joy to be experienced there that you're not experiencing outside of his presence. 
So that's, that's an affirmation in Scripture. We need to understand what does that mean. Or uh, think of what's communicated in the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, countenance, his face, upon you and give you peace. So while God is everywhere all at once, we should actually be longing for the unique experience, the unique blessing of being in his presence, having his face to shine upon you. You want to be there. That's, that's what you want to experience. And this is, this is also how we are to understand the recorded appearance of, of God whenever he appears in one particular place, like we said, the burning bush, or when you know, Scripture says that the Lord sits upon the mercy seat. You know, he sits upon uh, the Ark of the Covenant located in the Holy of Holies. Like, well, what, how are we to understand God dwelling in the temple? He's everywhere, but at the same time, he's in that particular place. And he's there uniquely present to bless his people. This idea of the omnipotent God being uniquely present in one particular place in order to bless, thinking about this actually helps you to make sense of heaven. Helping you to understand heaven. Because I think we normally would say, where's God? God's in heaven. Okay, but what do we mean by that if he's actually everywhere? Is it right for us to say that God is in heaven? Well, let's first consider a few texts that actually do say that God is in heaven. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Psalm 33, verse 13. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. So those are just a few texts that affirm that the Lord is in heaven. And yet we don't want to suggest that God is more present in heaven than he is anywhere on earth. Because we've already said that the definition of omnipresence means that he is fully present everywhere. Whether heaven or earth all at once. But I think it is fair to say that in heaven, his presence is supremely experienced in the form of blessing. Because in heaven, there is no sin. There is nothing interrupting or, or hindering one's communion with God. So while he is fully present everywhere all at once, he is experienced differently in heaven. His presence there is experienced solely in terms of blessing. And that's what's unique about heaven. Now, there's a flip side to all of that. While God is everywhere all at once, he can be uniquely present, not just to bless, but at times to punish or to curse. Just as there are passages that speak of God turning his face towards you and blessing, there are also scriptures that speak of God removing his presence or hiding his face from you in judgment as a way to curse, as a way to punish. So listen to Isaiah 59 verse 2. 
But your iniquities, your sins, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Or listen to Proverbs 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Far from the wicked, close to the righteous. Now that is not a refutation of God's omnipresence. God being far from the wicked and yet close to the righteous is really a moral statement. It's describing a relational distance between God and the wicked. It's no different than how we might speak of a married couple being far from each other even as they lay in the exact same bed. You can be physically present with someone while relationally distant. And I think that's the message being sent whenever God removes his presence from some place. Like, like you might read of in Ezekiel chapter 10. When he removes his presence, he removes his Shekinah glory from the temple in Jerusalem. He's communicating the relational distance caused by the sins of Israel. It's not a literal description. It's a moral judgment. So I think this idea helps us to make sense of God's presence in relationship to hell. I think it's quite common for us to speak of hell as a place of punishment where the unrepentant are cast, where they go to be separated from God. That's how we often speak of hell. That in hell, you're separated from God. Well, now we know that we really shouldn't take that literally, as if God is literally absent from hell. But instead, we are to understand it as moral language describing a permanent relational distance established between God and those who are suffering in hell. In fact, far from describing God as actually being absent from hell, if you read the scriptures, it speaks of God being present with the wicked in punishment. So, like we said, sometimes God can be uniquely present in a place to punish. So listen, for example, to Amos chapter 9, verse 2. This is God describing God's dogged pursuit of the wicked. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. Or a, a similar text in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 to 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places that, so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Now, friends, these are examples of God's omnipresence specifically being referenced as a warning, as a threat to the unrepentant. He is everywhere all at once, which means as an unrepentant sinner, you must realize that you cannot escape God's judgment. In fact, even in hell, you can't escape God's judgment. There in hell, God's, God's presence, I mean, God's presence in hell is experienced solely in terms of punishment. Listen to this. This, this rather chilling text in Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. This is Revelation 14, 10. He, 
referring to the unrepentant sinner in hell, the wicked in hell will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he, the wicked, will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Sinners who do not turn to Jesus for salvation, who do not repent of their sins, will be tormented in the presence of the Lamb. In the presence of Jesus. The Son of God is omnipresent, meaning he is fully, ex- fully present everywhere, including hell. But in that dreaded place, his presence is experienced solely in terms of punishment. And friends, that's the one place in all of the universe where you don't want to be in the presence of God. You don't want to be there before God. So we've defined God's omnipresence. We've demonstrated where this doctrine is taught in Scripture. Now, let's draw out some implications, some implications of God's omnipresence for us in our lives. I've got three for you to consider. I've listed them out for you there in your outline. First, God's omnipresence is comforting to the saved. And we already saw this confirmed in some of those previous passages, especially in Psalm 139. Wherever you are, wherever you go, the omnipresent God with his omnipresent hand will be there waiting for you to guide you, to uphold you. That, my friends, is a comforting thought. That is, if you're certain that he's uniquely present in your life, not to punish you, but to bless you. And that's why I'm saying that God's omnipresence is a comforting thought to the saved. Because when we speak of being saved, we mean being saved from the punishment of your sins. So that means if you trust in Jesus as the one who came to die for your sins, to take on the punishment that you deserve and to bear that upon himself on the cross, then the gift of salvation is yours. That's the good news. And from that day henceforth, you are loved by God as much as he loves his only begotten son. His face will never be hidden from you. Wherever you go, wherever you are, he will shine his face upon you in order to bless you. That is the kind of assurance that the saved can derive by meditating on this doctrine, by meditating on the omnipresence of God. Let's go further. Think about how comforting it is to know that God is fully present wherever you are. Because what that means is that you, wherever you go, wherever you are, you have immediate access to God. Like you don't need to wait in line in order to communicate with him. He's never going to put you on hold and you just have to sit there and waiting you know, because he's busy with others. He's going to get to you. You just got to hold on and just wait. No, that's not going to happen. You always have God's undivided attention. 
He's not, he doesn't have to split his attention between you and billions of other believers on this planet. He's not like us when we're trying to listen to multiple kids in the car, you know, speaking over each other, trying to get your attention. And you're just like, ah, I can't stop. That's not God. That, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't deal with, deal with that. He is fully present everywhere at once. So when you're engaged with him in prayer, you get all of him. You get all his attention. He is fully present to listen to you as you pray. That's the comfort that his children can enjoy. The children of an omnipresent God. That's our first implication. How comforting it is. But second, God's omnipresence is chilling for the unsaved. If you have not repented of your sins, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, then omnipresence should be a very scary doctrine. Because as we already saw in Psalm 139, just as God is everywhere, so is his knowledge, which means nothing we ever think or do is ever done in secret. I mean, sure, yeah, we, we can hide ourselves from others. We can do things in secret where other people may never know. They'll never find out. But not God. Nothing is hidden from God. Now, that is a chilling thought for anyone. But at least for those who know that their sins have been forgiven, we can be comforted in knowing that God still loves us even as he knows everything that we do in the dark. And he knows everything we think or feel in the secret recesses of our hearts. And yet, because of his grace, he loves us still. You can take comfort in that. But at the same time, at the same time, this, and this, this truth convicts us, convicts the saved to, to want to live openly and to live honestly, ne never trying to hide our sin, our shame, because we know what's the point of doing that? Why are we trying to hide? It's a futile effort. God already knows. He always knows because he's always there. But if you don't know God's love, if you have yet to receive God's forgiveness, then I know his omnipresence is a terrifying thought. Because it means that you have no place to go to hide from God. I mean, you can try to ignore his presence. You could try to pretend like he's not there, but, but he still is. Wherever you go, he's still there. And as we saw earlier, even in hell, you're not going to escape from God. Even there, you will forever be before him, experiencing his presence solely in terms of punishment. Trust me, that is not what you want. You don't want to be there. So don't stay on the same path that you've been on. Friend, make a change. Decide this very day to make a change and to turn to Jesus. To receive the forgiveness, to receive the gift of salvation that he made possible for all who believe. Don't stay on this path. Make a change today. Now, to help you do that, let's turn now to our third and our final implication, which relates to Jesus himself. Third, God's omnipresence is confounding in the person of Christ. 
You see, I hope that so far that God's omnipresence is now starting to make more sense to you. You're starting to understand this doctrine more. I hope it's helpful for you. But, but once you begin to contemplate the person of Christ, once you start to think about Christmas, it just confounds everything. Because we've been saying up until now that God is fully present everywhere all at once without spatial limitations, without spatial boundaries. He's omnipresent. And yet earlier we were singing songs about Christ, the second person of the Trinity, being born in Bethlehem, located specifically in a manger, in a stable. I mean, how, how can he be both? How can he be the eternal, omnipresent God of the universe and yet enter into creation and bind himself to a human body in its smallest, most feeblest of forms as a human baby wrapped in swaddling cloths? Think about it. How, how is that possible? The incarnation is both the greatest miracle and the greatest mystery in all the universe. Don't worry, friends, if you can't fully grasp it. In fact, the fact that there is mystery, the presence of mystery in your faith should actually encourage you because it's more likely that you are actually dealing with the real God of the universe. I mean, just consider the alternative. What if there was no mystery in God? What if you were able to com perfectly comprehend his very nature? If that were so, you really have to ask yourself, would he really be a God worthy of my worship? I want to worship a God who's infinitely greater than me. I want to worship a God that I can't fully wrap my mind around. So when you tell me that the omnipresent became incarnate, the God who is everywhere all at once is now Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, in one body, it's this beautiful mystery of the incarnation that really offers the strongest of assurances that this Jesus that we're worshiping is truly the real God of the universe. Such mystery shouldn't leave us flustered in frustration. It should really lead us on our knees in worship. So let's continue to do that now. Father, we thank you for this beautiful mystery of the incarnation, the omnipresent God being incarnate and localized in one man. May this truth comfort us, chill us, and confound us to worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name.